Welcome to Risk Ready, presented by the Private Risk Management Association. Well, welcome everyone. This is Spencer Holden, the host of Insurance Thought Leaders Podcast, a Private Risk Management Association production. If you're not part of what we're doing in our movement, I certainly hope you'll join us. On our show today, I'm so excited to welcome Mark Freelander. I've known Mark for many years and love the work he's currently doing as the Director of Corporate Communications for the Insurance Information Institute, otherwise known as the Triple I. Among lots of other things, Mark is known for his thought leadership surrounding the Florida marketplace, which will be the topic of today's show. I happen to spend a lot of time in Florida, and every time I open the paper, I see Mark quoted in it. Uh, he has a vast industry experience, including 13 years uh, as the head of corporate communications and assistant secretary at Main Street America Group. Main Street America Group is a Florida-based super regional property and casualty carrier. He's also held leadership roles within several industry uh, trade associations, including chairing the Insurance Marketing and Communications Association, as well as the IBHS Communications Committee. Mark, you are among anybody truly an expert on what I would call everything Florida. And we are really excited and maybe a little afraid to learn more about you on today's show. Or I shouldn't say more about you as much as more about what you know. And I want to start, if I may, with Hurricane Ian. Uh, you know, one of the most powerful hurricanes to hit the U.S. in decades. And I certainly would be remiss if I, I didn't recognize the fact that there was a lot of death. It was the deadliest hurricane to hit Florida since 1935. And our hearts go out to those who lost their lives and to their families. But um, I do want to focus on the property damage. It turns out it was the third costliest weather disaster in the U.S. on record. I was hoping you could quantify for us, you know, those losses, how many, how much loss was to the insurance industry? And are you able to separate out losses from different perils? Like how much was flood? How much was wind? Maybe even no property versus auto. i uh, love to hear the stats that I know you've been accumulating over the past six months on Ian. Well, first of all, Spencer, thanks so much for having me today. We've broken down the impacts of Hurricane Ian. They have to kind of look at a couple different figures. NOAA, in fact, with a brand new report they've just put out, indicates the total loss for the event was about $112 billion. But that is all inclusive, meaning insured and non-insured losses. When we look at the insured losses, we rely on catastrophe modelers such as Karen Clark and Company and Moody's RMS. And their data indicates this will be the second largest property insured loss event in U.S. history at approximately $60 billion. That's the figure they currently have out there. The largest on record, according to our data, was Hurricane Katrina, which was about a $99.5 billion property loss event in today's dollars. So once again, we're talking about insured losses. But it's also important to note that catastrophe models don't include flood losses covered by the National Flood Insurance Program, which is administered by FEMA. And according to FEMA's projections, flood losses from NFIP will run at about $5 billion. So that's the breakdown there. But let, let me dive deeper for you because you're asking, okay, what does this mean? What kind of losses are we looking at here for insurers? And so far, we've seen over 700,000 insurance 
claims from Hurricane Ian. That's according to the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation, because insurers are required to submit their data to the OIR. So they're tracking this. And as of mid-March, which is the latest report they put out, about 80% of the claims have been closed. So that's pretty good for a hurricane of this magnitude, a high-end Category 4, when we compare it to other major Cat 4, Cat 5s over the past decade, about 80% closed after six months. That's a pretty good track record. And then we also look at the complaints. Are a lot of consumers upset with their claims? Because we hear stories. There clearly are some contentious claims, particularly with Ian, because of wind versus water. It was a significant storm surge event, historic levels, in fact, in Southwest Florida. And a lot of determinations are made. It's flood loss. It's not wind loss. So if you don't have flood coverage, you don't have coverage for this hurricane. That's a big problem. And thousands of homeowners in Southwest Florida don't have flood. So we see that issue. But yet, in terms of total complaints, it's less than 0.03%. So not even a half a percent of the 700,000 claims have led to a complaint. So roughly 2,000 complaints out of 700,000 claims. That's a very good margin for the insurance industry to show that we are taking care of our customers. We are delivering on our promise and making our customers whole as quickly as possible after a catastrophic loss. So that's good. So in terms of the kind of claims we're seeing, I have some data on that as well. So of that 700,000, roughly 500,000 are residential, 33,000 are commercial, including business interruption losses, and the remainder fall into a broad category. And unfortunately, the OIR doesn't break it down any further, but I could give you some insights here. So the other category is personal and commercial auto, ocean marine and inland marine, aircraft, and farm owners multi-parallel. So those are kind of the other categories. So roughly about 170,000 claims in that other category. Of that 170,000, well over 100,000 are auto. We saw significant auto losses, flooded out cars. And we saw the cars being towed to these uh, fields, literally out in the marsh groves of Florida, way out from this, from the uh, population. Uh, just, you know, truckload after truckload bringing damaged and destroyed cars out to this area. So yeah, we, we have pretty heavy car loss, but it doesn't quite hit the level of Hurricane Harvey, which was the all-time leader, <laughs> leader in the clubhouse, I guess we should say, for Harvey on flood claims for autos. I think they were over 300,000. So we're not going to quite hit that level, but it's, it's significant. It's still a six-figure loss in terms of total vehicles from Hurricane Ian. And I know we're seeing now carriers are asking more questions about where cars are stored. If they're in an underground garage under an apartment building or a condominium building, they want to know more about the elevation of that garage. So we're starting to see the underwriting of possible flood catastrophes for automobiles, which is which is new, but came out of that storm. I know you touched a little bit on where you get these data points from. I mean, III is just awesome to have in our industry because there's so much value you're bringing to us. Um, could you just touch on maybe a little bit more about how behind the scenes you're accumulating these data points and uh, and bringing it together for us? Sure. So we use a variety of sources to assess data. Uh, as I mentioned, in terms of catastrophe losses, we look primarily at uh, 
Karen Clark and Company, a great modeler, as well as Moody's RMS. We also look at Veris data. We look at data from S&P. We assess data from the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And in the case of Florida, we also work with the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation that tracks data directly from carriers. So a variety of sources, and we we data mine all that and, and come up with our analysis because we are a data-driven organization. That's what we do. We put data-driven info out into the marketplace to help consumers have a better understanding of insurance, make better choices on coverage. And we are really considered a think tank when it comes to consumer insurance issues. Well, and I love the website because I always find nuggets on there. It's it's, it's fun. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, so from memory, it's iii.org. Very simple. Yes, iii.org. Great wealth of information, very current. We are constantly updating all of our data on all types of insurance issues and categories, whether it's homeowners, auto, commercial, workers' comp, uh, life. We also track life and annuity coverage as well. So there's just a, a real wealth of information there. And we have, in addition to just overall summaries of what insurance coverage includes for different categories, we have what we call facts and statistics for every area of property casualty insurance. So we have a basically a stat sheet for every line of insurance uh, in the property casualty world. And we try to keep that as current as possible. Then we also have our catastrophe sections where we're tracking major catastrophes, you know, hurricanes, wildfires, the high ticket items in terms of insured losses. And we're constantly updating that data as well. That's awesome. Um, so getting back to Ian, we talked about the losses at roughly $60 billion. I wanted to dive into what you might know if you do. I mean, I know you, you said that the consumer complaints are fairly low, but after a storm like that, we always end up with lawsuits against insurance companies. And are those legal costs figured into that $60 billion? Because I know even though that with some a state like Florida, it's so litigious, I mean, what what do you expect to see or what does the atmosphere look like when it comes to litigation that is starting to creep out or will creep out of Ian? Is it significant or not significant? It will be. In fact, the catastrophe models, when they put out their data shortly after the hurricane last fall, they indicated that litigation expenses could run 10 to 20 billion of that 60 billion total. So they're already figuring that into the equation. So when you look at a $60 billion loss, it's Technically, forty billion in claims paid, another ten to twenty billion in litigation-related costs. And when you look at a litigious state like Florida, it's a good factor to work in because Florida is the most litigious state in the country. In fact, Florida's had what we call a litigation abuse problem for many years, and really, that's the one key reason why the state's property insurance market was in crisis. Long before hurricanes, Ian and Nicole struck last year, we were in what's called a man-made crisis. Two key factors, litigation abuse, assignment of benefits, fraud. And when we broke down, we did a very deep dive on the litigation issues last year. And about 80% of property claim litigation in the U.S. over the past three years has been filed in Florida versus the average number of claims per year for property. 9%. So we see about 9% of the average claims 
in the U.S. every year here in Florida, 80% of the litigation. That formula is way out of whack. There's something very wrong there. And it's because of the regulations that were in place in the state, which have changed recently, which I'll get into. But it basically invited lawsuits to be filed because there was a statute in place until the end of last year called one-way attorney fees, where the insurers on the hook for paying the fees of the plaintiff, if any monetary award is allowed in a court decision. So if you, the plaintiff, you're the claim, hold, claim uh, the claimant, if you're awarded $1, all of your attorney fees are paid. So it could be several hundred thousand dollars of attorney fees have been racked up on one single lawsuit and just keep multiplying that. And really, that's the reason why seven Florida residential insurers have gone insolvent in just the past year. It was litigation abuse that drove them out of the market. And we're still seeing it. I mean, the legislature just passed a second bill, a, a pretty major tort reform bill that will now eliminate one-way attorney fees for all lines of insurance, not just property. Property was handled in a December 2022 special session. Now, a new bill that the governor signed into law on March 24th indicates all lines of insurance will no longer be subject to one-way attorney fees. So what happened before that bill was signed by the governor? Plaintiff's attorneys were in a mad scramble to sue insurers. It was completely off the scale. We've never seen anything like it. 90,000 plus lawsuits were filed in five days before the governor signed the bill. That shows how out of control litigation abuse is here in Florida. One firm alone, uh, Morgan & Morgan, which is boasting is the largest plaintiff's firm in the country or personal injury, probably that's a better term they use, personal injury firm in the country. They publicly came out and said, yeah, we, we filed about 23,000 of those. So <laughs> they were they were, they were were thrilled to say they, they were the leader of the pack. So one firm alone, one of the largest in the country, as they claim, 23,000 suits, total over 90. 50,000 of those 90 were filed just in Miami-Dade County, which is the largest population county in the state. So now that's going to tie up court systems for years in Florida. So even though laws are changing, Bills are making vast improvements to the market. We have litigation abuse that's completely out of control. And now we're going to have to deal with 90,000 plus lawsuits on top of all the other litigation that was already in the pipeline. It's it's crazy. you know. And, and maybe this relates to a practice that we see often that you can uh, speak to. I What I call storm chaser roofers. I have an uncle who lives in Sarasota, Florida, and he called me. Two and a half weeks ago, some gentleman came knocking on his door, claimed he was a roofer, which I assume he was a roofer, said he threw a drone over my uncle's house and there were a few shingles that were missing and that he would be successful, quite confidently would be successful in having his roof replaced uh, on the back of his insurance policy if my uncle would uh, assign his benefits of the policy to the roofer. And so my uncle called me and said, I want to file a claim. And here's what happened. And um, in which case it was time for Spencer to start lecturing his uncle. Um, but this is not this is not a one-off, is it? I mean, this is happening hundreds of times a day in the state of Florida. These these roofers, uh, can you speak to that? 
That's part two of the equation of the man-made crisis in Florida, assignment of benefits fraud. We have had unscrupulous contractors canvassing neighborhoods for several years, literally going door to door and offering free roof replacements for what we call phantom claims, because in most cases, there's no damage. Now, we have unscrupulous contractors taking advantage of Hurricane Ian victims. That's kind of a separate category. But in general, we've had these roof replacement schemes going on for years with no storm damage. They were in my neighborhood knocking on doors, including yours truly, telling me I had hail damage. I don't think I've seen a hailstone in my 18 years living in Florida. I mean, I come from Chicago. I know hail. And I've had hail destroy my home and my my vehicles in Chicago. Never a, a minor dent here in Florida. Trust me, if you have bad hail and your car sitting outside, you know you have damage. <laughs> It'll your vehicle will tell you you have damage. You don't need to even go up on the roof. So roofers, one roofer went on my roof and said, "Oh, you've got all kinds of hail damage." I said, "Have a nice day. Have a good life." <laughs> <laughs> There's no hail damage here, no. But that's what they do. They tell homeowners, oh, there was a bad storm last month. We're working with your neighbors, your friends. We're replacing the roofs. Just sign this form, this AOB, and we'll take care of everything. Well, here's what happens. You sign it over, meaning now you've signed over the rights of your claim, full rights given to the contractor. They replace the roof. They jack up the price and probably charge your insurance company double what a legitimate roof replacement would cost. So say it should cost $20,000, they are going to charge your insurer forty. The insurer, in most cases, is going to reject the claim, and then lawsuits ensue. Another roadmap to litigation abuse here in Florida. And these scams have been going on for years. So what happened? In December, in the special session of the legislature, they eliminated assignment of benefits for property. Did that end the schemes? No, because... These unscrupulous roofers have come up with workarounds, and there's two of them. One is called a direction to pay agreement, which is basically a quasi-assignment of benefits, but doesn't follow any laws of assignment of benefits, and direction of pay has not been banned yet, should be. And then the other one's called a insurance contingency agreement, where basically you're signing something, giving this contractor full rights to your roof replacement with penalties involved, even liens potentially placed on your home. It's a really bad agreement to sign. Is it legal? According to lawyers, it is. I'm not an attorney, so I can't say so, but the attorneys say it is. But it is a sucker's punch, basically. You are signing over rights to a claim, and now you are obligated, even if that roofer never does the job. So if you need a roof fixed, and it's been months, and they haven't done anything, I'm getting rid of this joker and I'm going to go find a legitimate roofer, right? You have to pay a penalty to get out of that contract with these contingency wow. agreements. We we did, we worked with a news, news station down in Fort Myers for a homeowner that has not had their roof. They signed one of these agreements after Hurricane Ian. Six months later, the roof still has a tarp. It's not fixed. And if they want to switch contractors, number one, 25% penalty they have to pay. So whatever the cost of the the repair would have been they have to pay 25% of that to get out of the contract. Number two is this roofer put a lien on their home. So wow. if they don't pay up, <laughs> they're going to lose their home. Unbelievable. Real scams. And unfortunately, we've seen 
so many Hurricane Ian victims scammed by these type of contractors. And I know the Florida Department of Financial Services has a very strong investigative fraud unit. They are working as hard as they can to crack down on these schemes and arrest these scammers when they clearly break the law. Sometimes these scammers work within the rule of law and they technically don't cross the line. You can't file charges against them. But there are many that are breaking the law and we believe the investigative unit is doing a good job starting to crack down on these schemes. So you mentioned you know, two parts of legislation that recently has passed and been signed by the governor. There's been some workarounds, as you mentioned. Is this legislation going to make a difference in all of this, do you think? Based on some early projections, a couple insurers have come out and started to talk about this. And the sense is this will begin to help stabilize Florida's insurance market. It's not going to happen right away. Nobody expected that. The real realistic projections are about 18 to 24 months down the road, we'll have a more stable market, meaning that will give consumers choice. They will be able to shop their home coverage and have good options and better competition usually leads to better pricing. It will also open up the market to perhaps new insurers want to come to Florida and start to write homes. Those that have pulled out of the market or never had really an interest in the Florida market because all the problems there, they might want to step into this market and start writing more. So we're hoping roughly 18 to 24 months down the road, we'll see a more stable environment. But right now, we are far from stable. In fact, we have 24 residential insurers here in Florida that are on what's called the regulators financial watch list because of concerns over their financial health. So could more residential insurers fail this year? Very possible. And so you mentioned that these insurers are possibly might come back in and the market might stabilize. And that's because of some legislation changes. But I'm assuming that you're also, that would be the case if the wind doesn't blow. I mean, if we end up with a cat four, I mean, Ian was a bad storm, but Ian wasn't a, it wasn't the biggest storm we could possibly have in Florida. If we have a cat four hit Palm Beach County this coming summer, would you agree with me that that prediction of a possible stable industry probably won't come to fruition? I mean, we need everything to line up, do we not? We do, absolutely. In fact, if a cat four or cat five hits Palm Beach County or other South Florida counties, that is a scenario where potentially the reserves of Citizens Property Insurance Corporation, the state-backed insurer of last resort, would be wiped out. Citizens has the largest market share in Florida. In fact, their market share, they have about 1.2 million policies in forts today. Their market share is 50% higher than any private insurer in the state. That shows how much market they have right now. It's because of the volatility of the market. And they are in a very exposed position, extreme risk exposure, because they are rate restricted. So they cannot charge the same rates as private insurers. And they just filed actually for a 14.2% rate increase. If it gets approved, it would be the largest on record, but it's still well below what we call actuarially sound rates. They need to be charging upwards of 55% average increases this year to keep up with the risk exposure they are writing. So that shows how far off the dynamic is there. So once again, South Florida hurricane, major hurricane, wipes out the reserves. 
every Florida consumer then is on the hook to help replenish those reserves. What does that mean? Multi-year surcharges, whether you're a homeowner, condo owner, a renter, even a driver, your auto insurance policy will see multi-year surcharges. So yes, would it throw off the plan or the goal of the stable market? Absolutely. It would push it back extensively. But it's a beautiful state. The sun is shining in January. There are no taxes. But boy, but it's hurt, starting to hurt the economy, though, isn't it, Mark? I mean, it is. People it don't is. want to buy a house in Florida because they, it's at the point that you can't afford the darn insurance that comes with it. The insurance, property insurance is still, for a better term, off the scale. I mean, the latest projection, this was actually presented at a recent board meeting of citizens. Their CEO presented that Florida's average premium in the private market now is over $5,000 a year. Wow. It's triple the rest of the U.S. When you look at the rest of the U.S., rest of the U.S. is about, say, 1,500, 1,700, roughly average. Florida, over 5,000, so triple that. And we are projecting renewals this year will run, on average, about 40%. That might be low because recently, Several private insurers went before the Office of Insurance Regulation for public hearings, which are required when you have a rate increase of 15% or higher. They asked for rates from 45 to 103%. That's the rates they want to take. So if we're seeing that, that's just a sign we still have a lot of problems here. And it's going to be continued sticker shock for consumers. And many people who moved on to Florida don't think about the insurance aspects. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the sales, oh yeah, no state tax, beautiful. But you're paying the, most likely the highest average home insurance in the country. Recent data shows you're also paying the highest average auto insurance in the country now. So mm. you're getting a double whammy. And then when it comes to your home insurance, depending on the quality of your home in terms of replacement costs, you may have a problem finding coverage. Because many insurers aren't going to write your home if it's high risk, if it's at a certain level. For example, citizens for Palm Beach and Broward counties has a $700,000 cap, as it does most of the state. So dwelling coverage limit is seven hundred. Many homes today, especially in South Florida, are well above that seven hundred. dollars So where are you going to turn? You're going to have to go to the surplus market. Most likely turn to the surplus market because no residential insurer is going to write you. Well, you know, I feel badly that I made you come on here and give all this bad news because you're a really nice guy. So I think, Mark, what we're <laughs> going to do, we're going to do a second podcast with you and give you a chance to redeem yourself. We'll talk about the California marketplace and then you can <laughs> you can really give all the good news. Oh, wow. Lovely. <laughs> uh, Mark, this has been awesome. Thank you. And we look forward to having you back. Uh, I hope the listeners will check out iii.org, iii.org, and see tons of stats and, and great presentations. There's some PowerPoints even on there. Uh, if you dig around, you'll you'll find all sorts of nuggets in that website. And uh, you're, you're truly a gentleman to come on here, and I appreciate all the knowledge you've shared with us today. Thanks again for having me. Uh, great information for your audience. And like I said, iii.org, a wealth of information. Take a visit there, and you'll be very happy to find a lot of uh, a lot of good data you could probably use. Thank you for joining us today for the Risk Ready Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, 
download, and review our podcast. Until the next time, stay risk-ready.